Hi everyone, slightly different episode this week. We recorded, a, I recorded a, a panel that I hosted at the Cryer Malt Trade Hub during Good Beer Week here in Melbourne. Basically, I uh, got together three people that were experts in marketing and design, and we kind of just talked all about how to make brands stand out on the shelf and and what um, what advice they had for for breweries that might want to rebrand or might want to. Uh, even you know, start up with a with a new brand. Uh, we had a few questions from the audience. There's three of them that I didn't uh, repeat back into the microphone, so you might not be able to hear them. And I, I just cut cut out the actual silence because you couldn't hear much. Um, but the first one was about how to choose what packaging between cans, bottles, slabs, six packs, etc. Uh, the second one that you won't be able to hear is um, about Cooper's uh, putting up ads side by side um, where they're putting up a ad for a can and ad for the bottle of the same beer side by side around um, Melbourne, I'm assuming other capital cities and other other towns in Australia. And the third one you won't be able to hear is, uh, do you need different packaging for on-premise and off-premise and and how to approach that? Um, So yeah, really interesting questions. Uh, Really big um, thanks to our three panellists. We had Zoe Oldway from... Totem Marketing, we had Damien Kelly, uh, who's a freelance designer. Um, you can look him up, I think Damien Kelly Design will find his website. And Simon Bent from Studio IO. Uh, we'll go straight in and, and they're introducing themselves um, and giving a little bit about their credentials. Uh, there will be no sign off for me. Our next show, uh, Dave will be back and will be back to normal programming. Um, I should also mention our Southern Brute IPA with Wolf of the Willows is out in stores now. Uh, All the Patreons should have got their free ones yet. The people that haven't contacted me yet and said, hey, I want my free beer, um, well, not free because they're supporting us, I want my beer for supporting. Um, If you haven't done that yet, please email me, Luke at Ale of a Time, and we can sort something out. Yeah, till next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. everyone. Um, first up, happy Good Beer Week. Everyone's looking remarkably fresh for the halfway mark. Um, my name's Zoe. I am a partner in my own marketing agency. Um, my background is in beer. It's been with Mountain Goat and Little Creatures. I've had about six years experience in beer. And then before that, I was in wine. Um, I've got about 12 years of experience all up in alcohol. And the wine brands I worked for were Darenberg um, in McLaren Vale. And then Giant Steps, Innocent Bystander in Hillsville under Phil Sexton. So, um, yeah, branding and marketing are just and two of my passions. And now that I can do it around beers, um, yeah, makes me a happy girl every day. G'day, everybody. Uh, I'm Damien. Um, uh, my background is uh, traditionally graphic design and branding. And um, I've uh, specialised in Elkbev probably for the last 20 years or so, having worked uh, a fair bit in wine, but probably beer for the last... Last about 15. So I've worked for top-tier branding agencies uh, for the big boys, so probably worked around 80% of the portfolio for CUB and uh, then worked for another agency and did line. Um, And probably my entry into craft beer was doing the Big Squires rebrand about six or seven years ago. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it came a bit of a passion, did a bit of all grain brewing, built my own home system, that kind of thing. Um, and these days I look after private clients, so for the likes of uh, Stone and Wood and Fixation and, uh, and a handful of others and just little things like Molly Rose and yeah, kind of, that's, that's me. Simon. Uh, my name's Simon. I run a very small uh, branding and design agency called Studio IO. Um, my experience with, with beer uh, is, is relatively new. I mean, uh, I've been working with three Ravens for the last year and a half, two years, um, and obviously worked on their new their, their rebrand and, and relaunch. Um, the studio works on a, a variety of clients, a, a variety of different kinds of clients, um, a lot of hospitality um, and uh, some in the property development as well. Um, so it's quite varied and and quite diverse, and it's 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 quite good to be able to, um, you know, sink sink the teeth into a a, a quite a, a meaty uh, rebrand like Three Ravens, considering how many products and stuff they've got. Um, so yeah, that I mean that's it's all very relatively new, and it's sort of good to be a part of it. Um, you, for those of you who've got a beer, you'll notice something about the cans, uh, and they're all really bright. And they're all kind of newish products. Squish, I think, is about a year old from Fixation. Is that right? Give or take? Uh, 18 months, I think. Okay, maybe. Um, and this, sure. this is pretty yeah, much brand new here from Three Ravens. Uh, so seeing as you guys kind of worked on the, the bright cans, I'm going to ask Zoe um, this question. Does it need to be a colourful can these days? Um, I think it colour, colour helps. Um, and I think it's one of the advantages that beer definitely has going for it. Um, having spent time in both wine and beer, um, I'm sure we'll walk down Dan Murphy's and you walk down the wine aisles and there's just white label after white label um, and there's no like, differentiation between them. Um, with beer, we've got the advantage where colour is quite accepted in our labels. Um, we've got different vessel sizes, whether they be cans, bottles and different sizes between them. So there's a lot of things that we've got going in our favour for um, that eye-catching moment, um, which we, a lot of people do judge their first buying decision on. Um, but then the other cha- challenge of that is they still can all blend in together and just becomes a big rainbow mess. So y- your branding and your positioning is still so important to make the most of having those good opportunities available to you. Um, oh, can I just jump in? I, um, uh, in traditional fast-moving consumer goods, uh, consumers shop by colour. So, and typically you might be anchoring a, a flavour or a variant to, to colour or colour or perception of flavour via colour, so kind of hence, yeah, the fixation squish can. Mm. And that's brighter than, I guess, the rest of the fixation beers, which uh, that muted green. Um, why did you go so bright with it? <laughs> Once again, flavour and, and standout. Um, two, I guess when we talk about design principles uh, for developing strong memory, visual memory patterns, so when you're shopping down an aisle, the, the two core constructs that you've got are shape and colour. So if you can create, uh, if you can create a strong shape and colour, people will remember that as a visual memory pattern. So in terms of shelf standout and shopability, those kind of things aid. So in this particular case, we're, yeah, we're going for... Uh, we're going for colour, we're going for standout, but also it's really just a cue flavour, that whole grapefruit, kind of orange uh, flavour profile of the beer. Yeah, it's called Squish. Mm. Yep. 
Tell me about the Three Ravens colours because uh, for people that aren't aware, the Three Ravens have relaunched their, their core range. Um, they've gone from very, I guess, black and grey uh, dark tones to, to this um, and there's a purple one and a, a yellow one. Uh, how did you approach the colours for those? Uh, a lot of trial and error. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of concepts. But I think overwhelmingly there was uh, a desire to contrast against their existing labels because they were quite dark. Um, I think that you know, re- relaunching the brand, they wanted to really make an impact. Um, and so having a bright range um, and also trying to marry up um, the pale ale, the Pilsner and the IPA t- to a sort of colour, um, just sort of mimicking the flavour, the flavour, what's going on inside the beer um, as well as was, was part of it. So there was a lot um, and it also needed to marry up with the, with the ideas and the concept for the brand as well. So, yeah, there was a lot of elements that we needed to balance, um, but we landed in a very strong sort of bright range, which uh, yeah, feels pretty successful so far. Um, there was an article a while back, and I can't remember who wrote it, um, but they basically shared some photos of a, a wall of beers at a shop and said, you know, how do you stand out even with having a colourful can and with branding? Um, you touched on this, Zoe, just when you were talking then. Um, you know, you will bleed in eventually. What do you do to stop that happening? Can you stop that happening? Um, I think you've just got to realise that that problem is going to be there. And it's, it's not just beer, it's not just wine. Every product has that down the supermarket shelves. So if you know it's there, your branding is just part of that bigger picture. And again, like, know what your position is in the marketplace and then everything you do should be reflective of that same can or the bottle. So if you do have very masculine branding, is a trip to your brewery cellar door that same kind of feel? Um, if we look at two um, examples of you know, very strong branding in the marketplace now and probably two of the most popular beers out there in Pirate Life and Bolter, branding worlds apart but if you had what as a consumer you feel like when you pick up a pirate life can and then went to the bolter cellar door which is very reflective of their branding if the two don't marry up there's that disconnect for the consumer so it's about knowing that your branding your design is all just part of your overall positioning and marketing um, in the marketplace try and build an icon uh it's probably you know, if we're talking shelf standout, purely at that kind of level, um, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. It's more of a build on... What, what do you mean? So, build an icon. What do you mean by that? Um, like, is that a logo or is the the way it looks? Can be. Okay. Uh, something iconic. Yeah. I mean, we talk, you touched on Bolter, for example. They've got... Uh, uh, a very strong design structure that they repeat. Now... Uh, in terms of those visual assets and visual equities, in terms of how ownable that is moving forward, that's probably a real... That's, that's going to be a question for those guys. Uh, it's not necessarily, you know, that big, bold sash of colour um, with some fairly stripped-back typography and a bit of a square. Now, that's going to be hard to probably defend in terms of, you know, certain people emulating that look and feel, etc. But what they have created is a very strong visual pattern that's iconic and can stand out so whether that be a logo or uh in the case of uh three ravens a uh you know a really giant cool bespoke three um that you can repeat on can you know that's something that's going to have some cut through and and stand out um it's going to aid in terms of yeah that challenge but uh yeah it's only going to get more challenging yeah you know how do you sell it yeah 
And the other, the, I guess the other thing that you, you'd, you'd go is, um, what's your strategy? Are you more of a house of brands or a branded house? Are you a very monolithic structure, which what we've got here in terms of the repeat of the three, um, you know, it's going to be quite a clever way where you've got a very strong master brand asset, but you're using the background as a field for you know, expression. Um, you know, that's a smart way of going uh, versus maybe it's very sub-brand orientated and you, it's very highly illustrative and then that can be quite recessive on shelf. Hmm. But it depends on what your, what your branch strategy is, what your business strategy is. If you're, you know, if you're a brew pub and you've got lots of taps and, you know, that's a very different conversation than how do I win in retail. Hmm. Um, the background on the Three Ravens one's an interesting one because... Uh, there is thought gone into the, the background of all this. Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight to that? Uh, yeah, okay. So we've come up with a, a pattern or, or to go with the, um, with the icon. Uh, it's a feathered pattern. And what we've done for each of the three is we've morphed them from a feathered pattern into another kind of pattern. Um, with the pale ale, because it's a tropical pale ale, it sort of morphs into a... Um, a more of a, a pineapple sort of texture. And with the IPA, it turns into a hops, and the Pilsner, it turns into a, a wheat um, barley sort of um, pattern. A sheaf, isn't it? A wheat yeah. sheaf? Yeah, I didn't know what they were called. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I forgot. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's all sort of, yeah, sort of built around. We're going we're gonna to be... Um, doing different things in the background moving forward with, with different sort of uh, beers that come out. Um, one thing that came up was uh, knowing what your brand is. And I know there's a lot of people in here who are, might be starting a brand or looking to reposition a brand. From a, a design or a marketing perspective, how do you think small breweries can better define their brand? How should they think about it before they come to you? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> um, these guys obviously be better suited to speak on the design part. But on the marketing part, invest in knowing your IP and the, your competitors and the market around you just as much as the effort you're putting into your recipe and your brew kit and your sales team. Um, you, there's, you, you only have, it's a cliche, but you only have that one opportunity to make a first impression. And it's, as you guys would all know, it's really expensive putting up a brewery. You don't want that first six to 12 months to be for nothing because you haven't done your checks about what you legally can and can't look like. Um, you know, there's... You can bounce back. We know, like, Kaiju is a great example. Um, for those in the room that might not be aware, they started off as Monster Mash. Um, I think it was Coke took them to court because of their monster drink. Um, and you put all that work and effort into building this beer that you've released for the first time and you're so proud of it and then you have to relaunch it again. And that, that just sets you so far back. So from a marketing point of view, the effort and the, whatever costs are associated to making sure you can be you are obviously completely worth it. Um, the, the IP law and, and I guess trademarking is a big one and there are, I think, breweries pushing their luck with that um, around the country. Uh, I guess there are some examples putting people's faces and calling a beer after someone, which I know is very much breaking the law, but there are a lot of grey areas in that. Um, how do people approach that then? What do they do? Do they talk to a lawyer? Um, 
if possible. I know that's you know another financial cost, um, and I think it's just a bit of common sense as well. Like you said, putting somebody's face on um, your can or label or decal without um, their authority. Like we're, everyone in the room knows that's not a cool thing to do. So there's probably there is a bit just that, you know, that um, what to say water cooler conversation yeah. like that. But it, keep, test. but it keeps happening though. And I like, think do, that's do people just know the that culture of or the yeah. It's just that's craft, and we are that young, edgy industry. Um, you know, we are majority small operators, um, and there is that kind of leeway that goes with it. But then it's just making sure again that we're not taking it too far. There is that there, there is a line in the sand where you know you've pushed the line on it. Um, common sense. <laughs> Coming back to the the question of um, what people approach their their marketing or their design team with. Um, you know, having it clear in their own minds. How do you how do you how do you want the brief to come to you then from a brewer? I think the the starting point um, is depends on where you depends on your background and where you're coming from. But uh, the starting point for any any job really is uh, to define the brand. And for me, that's um, it can be as big or as uh, or as small as you, as you like in terms of that process. Um, but with any brief, what I would like and like to see or develop with someone is, um, at a bare minimum, is articulating what the brand story is, and also then going into things like what are the what are the values of the organisation. So what are the brand values, and then the personality as well. So for me, what comes out of that is we understand the story that we're telling, we understand the values and the personality, and then the visual aesthetic should really be driven from that. So the visual when when you read the values and the personality of a brand, you should be able to look at the end result and that should give you the feeling that you want to convey. So at a bare minimum, I reckon that's what you want to achieve. And, yeah, how you come to that is probably depending on your experience, your budget, who you're working with. Um, yeah, like um, I like to work very closely with um, all of my clients, not necessarily the beer ones, and to help define those values because that is like it's really easy for us to go yeah to find your brand values but that can mean a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people um so i mean it's 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 kind of unless i don't know unless you've done a lot of branding before it's kind of really hard to look into yourself and go what are the values of my company that i haven't started yet or that i've had for a long time that i just really haven't thought about so i guess it's working very openly. I mean, if you don't have them, have any idea of what you want, it's it's best to communicate that with your designer and work with them or your your um, branding agency. Work with them to, to help define that because, um, yeah, that can be quite daunting. Any questions at this point? We're looking to create a new brand. How, what's the process in shopping around for a, for a designer? Do, do you... Um, send a, do you create a brief and send it to a bunch of people that you like their work or yeah, uh, yeah. other than calling you guys <laughs> yeah. well um, yeah I'd, I'd have a good look around there's a lot of uh, creative agencies um, out there I guess um, find something you like um, that's in their wheelhouse if they've got a really strong style um, yeah I'd just approach them say look I'm um, I'm starting or I'm, I'm needing to refresh. Um, and they'll sort of you know, set up meetings and help define what the brief is if you need help with that. Um, if you've got a brief, that's great to send along as well. 
Um, but yeah. One of the questions I don't know that probably a lot of brewers will have is at what point does that start costing me money? Am I paying for the meetings? Am I paying for the first brief? Or I can't speak for everyone, but my, my initial breeding, uh, meetings are... Um, I, don't, I don't charge for just a meet, a meet up. That feels weird. Yeah. I think there's, uh, uh, there's just a little amount of dialogue in terms of establishing where they're coming from, uh, what their needs are, get together, have a chat. You can quickly assess you know, where they're at in terms of what... Um, you know, kind of what level they're pitching it at and what their needs might be, and then you can base, a, you know, a, uh, a system that's going to work for them. The big question that you haven't asked, you're probably going to ask, is budget. And with a design, with a design studio, it depends on probably the structure. If you're dealing with a bit of a one-man band, are you dealing with a small agency or a large one? Uh, and design is kind of flexible in that what you're going to pay for probably is process, and Within that, it is about exploration and it's just essentially, it's like any other professional service, it's kind of man hours. So the one thing they're going to want from you guys is, what's my budget? One of the things that I think people might not realise is changes once, the, once you guys sent them some artwork um, and people want it changed, they're going to be paying for that whole process normally um, if it's not defined. And so if they're not clear from the start, does that, I guess, drag out that process? Can be uh, have a well articulated uh, a fee estimate from uh, from your designer in terms of what it includes and what it excludes, and go through it and sit down with them. And that's really that's kind of probably the next phase in terms of meeting, a briefing, having a bit of dialogue around budget and scope of work and process, and understand their process and how they like to work, and then understand what's involved. Is it uh, design concept, design development, and you might have three rounds of design development and then maybe moving into finished art, for example. There might be illustrative costs which are not built in, so you might see little asterisks down the bottom in terms of image creation, which might be photography. So designers aren't always illustrators? Uh, I reckon about 20% of designers are illustrators. Yeah, not so many. If people want to, you know, an artistic, when you look at, say, garage project where everything's illustrative, those costs are always separate to design costs? Yeah, Ross works with people who illustrate, so he kind of works a little bit differently in, in as much as I know. So he kind of works with people that um, provide all that service as a part of their kind of offer, but traditionally in, yeah, in any branding agency, that's, yeah, they'll outsource the illustration component, yep. Question. Hey guys, um, as a small startup, what is your take on standing out in the sea of colours? Um, I look at, say, a brand like Modus Operandi and Blackhawk brewing up in Gold Coast where they appear to, the Blackhawk use a bit of negative space in their labelling but then differentiate in the colours between particular flavours and Modus basically have the same basic can the whole way through and they've got the sticker that go on um, I look at that twofold as if you're starting up that's probably a good way to get your bottling and canning up and running dirt cheap as well as anchoring your potential brand if you're happy with your initial layout what's your thoughts on those two because I, I see these glorious cans and obviously there's a fair bit of coin that goes into designing and rolling them out so for those that are just getting up and running. What's your thoughts? 
I'd say modus operandi are very smart. I, f- I feel like that's a really strong brand. And the way they've done it is, is quite economical. Um, I feel like whichever way you go, um, if you do it well, you're going to have copycats eventually. And I feel like that's, let's say, a little bit of a... Um, uh, it's, it's inevitable. Um, but, you know, uh, eventually the markets catch up. If you're doing something right, people will go, okay, how can we emulate the same design principles in there? Um, you can never really safeguard yourself against that. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's my sort of thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a smart way of, uh, of approaching uh, their business in terms of, you know, being able to do uh, a large can run and then you can do small small runs in terms of beers and brews and you can experiment and you can do large runs, etc. So it's a way of lowering your cogs, your cost of goods. Uh, so that's really quite clever. Um, that's more of a business approach, probably from a branding approach, uh, but it's twofold. So whether who was working with those guys that, you know, developed that strategy, um, that works really well for them. So, you know, by all means, you can emulate that. You could do, as in the approach, obviously not the design, um, there's a myriad of ways that you could kind of do that, I reckon. Uh, if you want to own a car, it depends on your strategy as well. Uh, sorry, in terms of the design strategy. Do you want to own a colour? Do you want to own an icon? What, yeah, what are you going to own in the marketplace or try and own or be known for? Uh, and you could build that, you know, for argument's sake, it could be the colour of your can and you've got a very master branded approach. So your cans are all green or orange or whatever they are, but you differentiate in another way. Um, Modus is an interesting one for people that I guess haven't seen them, plain, plain cans with their logo and then a bit of a wraparound with the sticker uh, and a few breweries are, are doing that. Um, another thing they've done is the packaging size and I think uh, you touched on this at the start Zoe, the packaging sizes you're designing for a whole bunch of things but they're using those big cans to differentiate themselves. Is that a valid strategy? Yeah, well again that comes into your overall business strategy as well so um, you know Pirate Life releasing a double IPA in a 500ml can was very ambitious, but it's completely worked for them. And they have owned, owned that, um, that space. Um, so, yeah, again, it comes down to what your business strategy is, what you're leading with, um, and you know, ultimately what beer you're putting inside it as well. Um, Pirate Life, the, the double IPA, and again, Garage Project we mentioned before, those two things are probably things that, go against a lot of rules that people have. Um, Garage Project, they, I know they make, try and make their logo smaller than pretty much anything else on the can. They always want to be smaller and they want to have everything looking different, uh, which a lot of people say, you know, keep your brand consistent. Um, how, how come that works for them? Uh, Explain that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's because of how they started. And so if you know the story from beginning to kind of end, uh, what, they, what they built was a whole set of uh, adoring kind of consumers by doing um, a whole series of beers. I can't quite remember the figures, but in terms of how they were going to release them in very small batches in small kind of scales. So they, 24 and they 24. Built, sorry? 24 and 24 weeks. 24, thank you. <laughs> um, so they built up more of a cult following and also in a, in a much smaller market at a time when you could do that. So... It's not wrong, but what they've got now, and it's a push-pull factor as well. So now, you know, they're kind of sought out and become famous for. But if you were to put three cans of that in, say, into a Dan Murphy's and they put them in terms of um, uh, into the various kind of flavour divisions that they've got within the store, 
it would be, if you're not familiar with the look and feel of it, it's hard to find. Mm. Yeah. Um, how does that differ then, uh, I guess, from the James Squire one that you worked on, um, which was very much, I guess, a big market, um, but, you know, keeping that consistent story. Um, how do you approach that then on the other side? Going the other way? Yeah. Uh, that, well, that, that project was about, um, at the time, Squire's looking really dusty and old and quite tired, and it was looking like a beer for um, connoisseurs as such. Um, and at the time, the, the brief to, to us was uh, to kind of bring it into the modern world, make it much more approachable and acceptable for craft beer entry-level kind of consumers, so people kind of migrating into craft, and that's where they saw the volume And uh, at the time. So that was about bringing a whole brand personality to life, and quite literally each one of the beers was a chapter of the story of James Squire. So it was telling a whole brand story through the portfolio of beers. And at the time, people couldn't remember what each of the different variants were because it was kind of like a tiny little name and a very lack of colour. So we gave it a colour, we gave it an icon and we gave it a name. And that was the design strategy for, yeah, to help bring that brand to life. I'm not sure I answered your question. No, no, no that's good. That's good. Um, any other questions? before? Oh. So I guess packaging strategy as a whole in terms of the, the cardboard and to the... Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, cans are an interesting one in terms of, I guess, the trade now kind of dedicating fridges to cans and uh, it's kind of a range of challenges, I guess. Uh, I would go for um, something that kind of maximises your canvas for shelf standout. So whether that is a can or a tall can, if you're talking singles or if they're doubles and it's just the can itself, well then work with that really smartly. Um, probably don't make it too complex. Uh, having said that, you know, you could have a, a design like this that has a full illustration that goes around the back, but it's got a very clear, sh- iconic front on, yeah, on there. Um, it's all going to come down to you in terms of bottles versus cans. Is it uh, contract canning lines? Is it, you know, a, uh, it's probably pretty, uh, pretty attractive for small, you know, kind of starting out businesses and like what the other gentleman said in terms of is it just print one can and you could print a colour and a colour, it could be a label that goes around it or a small little patch label that could work as well. Um, or are you doing contract packing and, you know, bottles and six packs are kind of... Um, yeah, Zoe, you've, uh, with Mountain Goat, you've done, you would have done cans to large format premium bottles to small stuff. How, what's your take on that? So for the different um, the different formats, they all served a purpose. So our barrel-aged beers were in the 750ml um, champagne-style bottles. Um, the Yeah, so and they were exclusively always in that. The rare breeds are always in the 640ml um, long-neck bottles. They're always in that. So, again, that's just building that consistency and that identity for that range within your sub like your sub range within the greater range um just to touch on um what was just said too those are really important to know who your client oh sorry who your customer will be like in our world we're all mad for cans we get cans and we love cans cans are still making up only about five percent of the total volume so we're all excited for cans but it's also you know important to remember the vast majority of people out there are still preferring to drink their beer in bottles and there's still a perception change that needs to happen there so if you want to like do cans you, you've just got to be prepared that that's another challenge you've got to consider into your your business model um would it be fair to say something like say cans in the, in the north of melbourne great uh regional victoria might be a different strategy 
I would say they're probably looking at cans in a different way. Like I would say that there's still VB cans and still Furphy cans, um, or what you know, Furphy clearly has gone nuts. Um, but they're not the craft shopper. Um, they're not looking out for those bright cans or great stories or the people behind them. They're, they're just it's all about the beer that's in, in those cans. Um, so again, yeah, it's just understanding what market you want to be selling that beer to, and then you know considering what's the right vessel for them. Any other questions out there? Uh, for people that might not have heard, uh, how, with online shopping, how do you make sure your packaging and your brand translates into that market as well? I guess the same way you make it stand out on shelf. It's the same situation. Um, they're always going to be in a lineup against a whole bunch of other cans. Um, and so you just need to rely on the strength of the design, um, I, I guess. Is there a risk you lose control in that? environment where you know on the shelf you you know how it's gonna look on the shelf yeah. but you don't know what they're gonna make it look like on the website yeah yeah does I mean, that factor in at all oh uh, you can't control that you can't really yeah you can't you can't control what you don't know what they're gonna do i mean i, I remember looking up one of the first labels i did for three ravens um ju- juicy and there's just crazy photos online of it like there's nothing that i produced but Obviously, people will just do their own thing. They'll, they'll have their own um, cameras and they'll, they'll set up their own shoots on their own. So there's, there's an element of you're going to have to let go and let it happen anyway. Yeah. I think there's also some, um, especially with like the, the bigger chains, both the um, mainstream and independent um, online shops, that they're more than willing to work with you guys. So if you see your brand poorly represented, you've got every right to ring them up and go, look, I'm going to send you a bottle shot. Um, and... Have like again, it's an extra thing you do need to take on, and certainly um, any time I've been with a brand that has had a design change, I'd spend this next easily the next six months getting in touch with online stores to say you've still got the old branding up, and here's the fifth email I'm sending you with bottle shots, and you just got to take I guess some personal responsibility for that, and that's with big chains that have people dedicated to just uploading pictures of products. So yeah, it's there's that on it um but yeah i think i think it is getting better um it is it is super hard out there to control what it looks like but just have those conversations uh get some high quality visuals renders uh yeah that's from your designer um that's probably kind of you know a bit of a first step but it's probably also worth mentioning that um the the purchase of uh, a beer that you've probably never tried before online is probably quite less so. It's probably more volume and more, more things you're probably familiar with. So they probably have already had a touch point with your brand and an affinity there, I'm imagining. The, the high-quality images one is an interesting one. Um, I'm quite often contacting breweries for artwork or logos to use in stories or, or publications. Um, and it's surprising how hard that is to get from breweries. Uh, do you think, I guess, from your perspective, like, do you want to send that to the brewery or should they be contacting you? Do breweries need to be better at that? Uh, I, I would build into your fee proposal or fee estimate with your client that that's just a mandatory outcome, is that um, as a part of it, at the end of the job, at the end of the process, you get a bottle shot or a can or whatever the outcome is of a, yeah, a six-pack or, or a bottle and get that in writing up front. It won't take them much. They've got to present bottle, visu- bottle visuals as a part of uh, 
as, as the, the design phase. So, um, yeah, write it in to your contract. That's just me pushing my barrow there as well. Um, yeah, it makes it difficult for me. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Top? I think they're just trying to. I think they're just trying to tick every box. Please, everyone. I, I don't know if there's a particularly. They are. They are definitely side by side as well. Because I've I've seen them like you know gig posters. They're always or not always, but quite regularly side by side. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd just say they're sitting the fence. They know that cans are getting more popular, but still a very small part of the market. And their existing client base would be um, traditionally tap and bottle. So I think they're just trying to yeah appeal appeal to all. Um, for people that might not have heard that, it's talking about logo designs versus a good logo versus you know a pretty amateurish one that can be on a top brand. Um, yeah, logos are they important? What's an example of a, a poorly executed brand from your perspective? Have you got an example that you would like to say it? Kind of <laughs> share or run with? Dogfish head is probably. One that most people think of, um, very clipardy kind of fish, uh, and that's a very successful brand. It doesn't seem to have held them back. Yeah, well, they've developed a very strong icon and a very big cult following for that, and people have forgiven them for that. Um, so they're <laughs> in a forgiven them. Uh, we'll accept it. Yeah. Well, yeah, to a degree, it's kind of apologetic in terms of, uh, yeah, it's kind of akin to rocking up, I guess, to a friend's place with a uh, bottle of wine that looks shit, but the, what's in it's great. But um, uh, that's 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 a harder and harder thing to probably uh, come to market with. I think the last thing you want to do is uh, have your packaging and the external canvas of what you work really hard to make let you down to be an undersell. Um, I reckon that's that's the greatest shame of any packaging design in in, in my view. If it's if it if it yeah if it really does an injustice to what's in the bottle, then yeah, that's uh, not money well spent, and that's really unfortunate. I think you've also touched on a bit in your question as well is that they did launch, say, 20 years ago when the market was a lot smaller. I would think if you were breaking through today and you did something a bit clip-arty, um, you would either just fade into it or you'd get some b- backlash of some kind. The other side is the retail side of things. Um, it's going to be a much harder sell to retail. I, uh, and even to say a venue like this, uh, your brand is a reflection of their brand. So, um, you know, sticking a, a dirty, shitty-looking tap decal that doesn't look particularly loved is going to be a harder sell when you're trying to get someone to take that on board into their venue because it's a reflection of them and who they are. It'd have to be pretty amazing product or have a great kind of reputation, I guess, to, to kind of break through to begin with. Yeah, designed by the brewer of the dogfish head, yeah. I think they've changed it now. Um, yeah. Did you, sorry, somebody, do you have something to add to that? Uh, just, you're up against it. Like, that's just one more thing. If you're going to be breaking in, if, if, if you've got something that's letting you down, it's, it's just a lot, it's going to be a lot harder, I think. Uh, I saw another question there. Did someone have their hand up? No? Oh, got two. I'll go in front first. Big tap decals, are they important? <laughs> Size matters, uh, Luke. <laughs> um, oh, gee, they get ridiculous, don't they? Uh, the really big ones are such a... They're so off-putting. They're, like, they're so... It just tips into crass, really. Um, I think there's... Uh, so you would be if you uh, got two beers side by side, both pale owls, one's got a giant pineapple, 
and the other one's got a small pineapple. You going for the small one? Uh, I think I'm probably referring to some of the mainstream, over-the-top, 3D beveled kind of bling factor that, yeah, is a bit of a turn-off. It's kind of jumping the shark and kind of tip the scale a bit. Do you think that works for some brands as well, on the flip side? So, like, uh, Moondog have some esoteric beers. That's different, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, tap handle, like... Sort of inter- adorning your tap with something that interesting that's going to stand out. Absolutely, that's just another leg up. That's just another way to, yeah, achieve a bit of cut through. Uh, yeah, at that point of purchase, which um, is pretty critical. You know, kind of at a bar. So yeah, I guess whatever tricks you've got or whatever you can do, but I think there's a limit. Yeah. Uh, question behind. Oh no, absolutely. I think uh, the point of sale. <coughs> The context with any with with anything is is really important. So uh, you might have you might have different point of sale for off premise versus something that's on premise. Yeah, it's about positioning. Yep. Um, is that kind of I guess so? You mentioned the bigger champagne style bottles for the um, barley wines and things from Mountain Goat. Is that kind of the thinking behind those? Is they're not no one's going to take them to the park, but that's what summer ale is for. You can. Yep, spot on. So um, to the point where, yeah, the wax dipping, the, um, the paper quality, the fonts, um, whether it's got the uh, gold embellishing or not, it's exactly that situation that we've, that beer has been designed to share. And in, if you're spending 45 to $60 on a bottle of beer these days, you're wanting it to have a special occasion. Um, so you want – the bottle needs to be reflective of that um, – and exactly that, like summer ale, Mountain Goat Summer Ale was one of the first crafting cans. And you see that even today at like Meredith Music Festival, those orange cans are everywhere because that was the purpose it was made for. Um, so again, it's just about your positioning, knowing who the customer is that's going to be buying that and the value that they're going to feel from that purchase. Um, anecdotally as well, chatting to brewers who have cans, they struggle to get them into a lot of restaurants, um, depending where they are in Australia and... If you're in a wine region um, and you've got cans, it might be a, a problem to get that into the, the wineries and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, I think it does have to come into it. As much as, you know, I think we all know that cans are great, um, the sommelier might not really care about that. He just wants a nice thing on the, on the table. Uh, any more questions? Uh, is there a risk in, I guess, doing something bold and then it dating? Uh, trends change pretty quickly. I'm looking at the the kind of Miami Vice writing on the window there, and that's kind of come back. But if you put a um, a can out with that on it ten years ago, it might look a bit weird. What are the risks with that? Anyone want to feel that? I think if it matches the personality of the beer, if that makes sense. Like if it's a really fun and playful. I mean, there's a lot of trends in beer. Um, so I think that that's inevitably going to be reflected in the design. Um, and things can be updated. Like, if, if it's good for, you know, a couple of, <laughs> a couple of years, if, you, if you're going to do something risky, you can do something like control it and do labels, which are obviously less, less expensive. Um, and then with a the view to change it later on if, if need be. I mean, that takes a lot of foresight, but yeah. So it's okay to plan to change then? Yeah. I reckon. Yeah, most brands will go through a repositioning or, well, sorry, they'll, they'll go through a packaging update, which might be a refinement, um, 
might be something that you're not across that you know as a punter you might just not even notice but they'll slightly slightly tweak it and and kind of build on it over time that's fairly typical i've sat in a heap of market research groups uh and you know done a whole range of designs which look go from evolution to revolution and you pretty much have to do something quite bold and quite different for them to even notice that you've made a change it's yeah so packaging updates that's just kind of a part of it but you might do that you know every four years or something along those lines repositioning or a rebrand that's called that's quite different your question around boldness uh if it's appropriate yeah sure fine um bold if that's a part of your brand and who you are then then that's okay i think it yeah the visual execution needs to be a reflection of what the brand's about and what that strategy is about is that the main takeaway because that seems to be the one people are coming up or you guys keep coming back with it needs to be a representation of who the people are about behind it and what the product is more than anything yeah absolutely i think the for me if you took one thing out of today it would be um uh build a authentic story for yourself that's true um and that's what you want to bring to life it's kind of authenticity and uh and good storytelling any more questions before we wrap up? Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the three of you for joining us. Um, I, I learned something and it was interesting. I hope everyone here did as well. Uh, thank you to Three Ravens and Fixation for supplying us some beers as well um, for you guys to drink. And there's my beer still, still a couple of cans left, so feel free to grab one on the way out. Um, and, yeah, thanks to Good Beer Week. So, yeah, cheers, everyone. <laughs>